Well, I'm going to ask you this. How are you doing on memorizing? I heard somebody come up to me and say, I'm working on it. I said, yes, yes, yes. And if you're one of those that are working on it, that excites me a whole lot. Uh, if not, you're going to keep hearing it over and over and over again. You'll probably accidentally memorize it. Um, but anybody here today ready to say the whole thing? I want to give you a chance. Not quite. One verse to go, I'm sure. Okay. We're going to have it up here on the screen, or if you have it in your little book here. We do have extra copies in the back if you don't have that. But uh, every time I go from here to here and I'm reading there, I, I stumble all over the place. You probably noticed. So I'm going to read it from my little book here. But if you want to read it from the big screen, that's great. Okay, here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Great passage. We get to work on another piece of it today, and that is under the banner of blameless. This one's really, really exciting to share with you today. Uh, I would say it this way, because a lot of people just don't believe it. They just don't believe it. They're going to hear what I say today. They're going to say, are you kidding me? Uh, really? We're going to talk through it today, okay? Uh, first, we're going to ask for the Lord's help because we're going to need it. Heavenly Father, your word is in front of us. We have a word we're going to look at today that is just an incredible thing for us to know. You have said it in your word, what you want us to hear and understand and as we focus on that today, may we not be so quick to discount your word, to treat it as if it's, it's just not possible or it's some fairy tale. 
but may we see from your view, from your eyes, what you have done. And may we come and praise you again, Lord. Again, that song, we have every reason to praise you. And this song, or this message today will bring out another cause. And we praise you for it, because this would not happen apart from you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a similarity between our thoughts today and what we had last week. We were looking at verse number four. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. And we talked about the fact that we are holy before him. And that one, that one's challenging. <laughs> I know it. That is a very challenging passage. And I think this one's even harder, to be honest with you. Because there is an and between the two words. Holy and blameless. Not holy, maybe blameless. Or holy or blameless. There's an and here. It's linking things together that go together. They're not the same thing. To say one is not to say the other. They are two things that go together on purpose. God has done this. This is this passage here, this is what God has done, just so you know. You didn't do it, I didn't do it, we couldn't do it. He did. This is his from his view, okay? He's looking down on you and this is what he sees. And that's what's stunning about it because more times than not, we look in the mirror and say, I don't know what you see. <laughs> it's not what I see in the mirror. But... Uh, Understand it and appreciate it. This is God's view of who you are in Christ. This is your identity. And it's very important that you know what it is. We have to work through a passage. Again, I I told you, uh, if you hear parts of this today, and you say, but that sounds just like what he said last week. Don't be too surprised. uh, Because they do go together. And it's necessary that we reiterate this. There was a story about a pastor who was once greeted at the end of the service by a lady who said, you preached that one before. And he says, yes, and if it didn't bear repeating, I shouldn't have preached it in the first place. And uh, so, uh, we're learning something together. And learning sometimes takes repetition. I don't know about you, but I bet quite a few of you right now can still sing the Burger King theme song. Because you learned how many things are on a Big Mac, or whatever, Whopper, or whatever. To all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles. Whoever had that, it's stuck in the head, right? Isn't that funny how we get that way? Things stick in our heads. Well, here we go. I want this to stick not just in our head, but in our heart. The things that the Lord has done for you and done for me, He has blessed us, He has chosen us. He has called us holy blameless. He's predestined us. He's adopted us as sons. He's redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has been gracious to inform us of all these things and much more. He has made us an heir, an heir with Christ, and he has sealed it so it never changes. And these are just a small piece of the blessings he has for us. And it's amazing to study this. And really, I think these phrases stun us when we really look at them closely and say, really? He did that? It's amazing. Uh, What we are looking at, um, this list, 
Many will look upon it as if they are things we do or things we make ourselves to be. We know in Scripture we're supposed to be holy, right? We also know that these other words uh, seem to be things that uh, we are supposed to be doing. Uh, that's why I guess they're not so unexpected that they're in the list. But this is our view from sitting here on this earth. It's the only view we have ever had is sitting on this earth. We don't know what it's like to live anyplace else but this earth. And to look up into the sky and say, really? As we learn of what God has done for us. We're given a whole list of Christian things to do, aren't we? We have them all over the New Testament, what we're supposed to do. And I think it's our goal to do them, right? Two or three of you said, okay. It is our goal. We say, yeah, we're supposed to do this. And, and we're supposed to be looking across to our brothers and sisters, not to compare ourselves, but to lift each other up. We're supposed to help each other walk on this planet. It's a hard place to live. Have you ever noticed? It is a tough place to live the Christian life. There's a verse, and there's actually a word in Scripture that compares this experience to that of a gymnasium. That's not a comfortable place. <laughs> especially if you're not in shape. I mean, that hurts. But uh, this is the picture we're in. We're, we're working toward this. We're progressing as we go. We're not looking at passages that say maybe or could be or I hope to ever attain to these levels. We're reading something from God's view that is. And I want you to know that. It's, not, it's an is thing. It's not what it will be. It's what it is. And that's why this is a really, really exciting passage for me. We have to view it from God's view. Uh, if you will, with your imagination, because that's the only way we can really do this, uh, put yourself up in heaven standing next to the throne of God. Looking around you, you scan the horizons of unlimited space and time. There's no clock on a wall. There's no calendar hanging by the pearly gates. <laughs> Yesterday and today and tomorrow all blend into one picture. If you can imagine that for a minute. Now, look down from God's view at His church. His children through Christ. What He sees is not limited by the barriers of our life that we now experience. He doesn't say, you know, that Tuesday is going to be tough. <laughs> we'll get through it. His viewpoint is different than ours. He sees what we are even before this world was created. That's kind of stunning. He sees the beginning from the end, doesn't he? He, he sees. He knows. Those words are said often in Scripture, and it also says it all works just as He planned and as He purposed it in Christ Jesus. He will not fail. That is just the fact that I set before you here. When we read Ephesians 1, 3-14, these items are not up for debate in God's view. You can't walk up there and say, I don't know, I don't see it. From God's view... If you're having trouble with it, you're looking at it from the wrong view. 
Because we're going to stand here and see what God sees in us. We're going to read of our identity that he has given to us. As I said last week, this is not our activity in Christ that we're studying. It is not our achievements in Christ that we're studying. It's not even our hopes and dreams in Christ that we are studying. That would all be great. I wouldn't mind those studies at all. But Ephesians 1 is not what you have done, but what you have in Christ. It's what you have. It's doctrine. It's not duty. It's doctrine. Duty will come later. Duty will come in chapter 4 of this book when he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. We're studying our calling. Got it? That's very important we have the perspective. So we go into this and understand what we're looking at here. And obviously it does lead to application. Because the whole point, and the pastor will bring this out, trust him, he will, live up to it. If it's your title, live up to it. So I'm going to show you today what your title is. It's called Blameless. Blameless. Ephesians 1.4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Let's, let's just take the word holy out just for a minute and read it again. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be blameless before Him. I want to give it just that emphasis, blameless. This is not an item that's up for... Uh, you to select or not select. You don't get an option here as a believer in Christ. This is woven together with what God has done. The one He has blessed, He has chosen. The one He has chosen, He has made holy. The one He has made holy, He has made blameless. They all go together. There's no degrees of this. There's one not at a different achievement level than another. It's not a scale in your mind where, oh, I'm doing good on this one, and this one needs a little help. This is not a report card, folks. (laughs) That shows what you have done to accomplish uh, good grades in these departments. This is your identity. Your identity, not your behavior. Behavior is an entirely different thing, and we'll talk about that when it comes up. But right now, we don't want to distort the passage. We want that balance, obviously, to understand, here's my identity, and so this is how I live it. This is kind of like putting your your dial at the right place between the treble and the bass. (laughs) If you get it too far one way or the other, you get a distortion, or you get something that's not quite accurate to the song. So we talk about identity because... In a world like ours, we as believers need to know who we are from God's eyes. Satan is very good at putting blame. Putting blame. The story years and years and years ago, and maybe you've read it, and if you haven't, you ought to. Pilgrim's Progress. We read in the first couple of chapters, there's Pilgrim walking with this giant burden on his back. The biggest thing. And you might be reading thinking, well, just drop it and run. He can't. It's stuck there. He carries it all the way to the cross, if you know the story, and it drops off. But we look at that burden. 
that big, heavy thing he wears. And we say, boy, is that tough to climb hills and to go places when you got something like that on your back. Satan is very good at filling that backpack because he knows that we're likely to carry it. We're likely to carry it our whole life. Here's what the word is, and it's really interesting as you start to do this, but uh, blame is what he's good at. And what that brings us to the place is saying that we are not worthy. That's true. We are not worthy to wear a title blameless. That is true. We, hear it? We are not worthy. (laughs) We are not. One of the most debilitating aspects of sin is the paralysis that follows. That the stain is there and God sees it and it doesn't go away. That's what we think. That's what we carry in the pack. We carry it with us and we think that maybe God now has a different opinion of us because of what we have done We think that somehow God has abandoned us now. He's walked away. He said, no deal. (laughs) Sorry, you blew it. And he leaves you with that. And the burden gets greater and greater the more you think about it that way. Honestly, it does. Some of you know it too well. Bad behavior always brings a lack of assurance. It always will. That's very true. The fact that I am unworthy of these things does not stop me from talking about it. Because it's not my worth that brought this about. It's my Savior's. It's what He has done. And I will talk about that all day long. Because that's the difference He's made in your life and in my life. This is really when we start to talk about blame. It's about as worse as it can get. You're here in Ephesians. Just travel over one page to chapter number 2. Chapter number 2. Look at this. It says in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Does that get worse than that? Well, I think it could, because the next verse says, And that's how you lived it out. I wish it was end, all right, Extinction, we're gone, we're done, but no, we've got to live that way. It says we were dead in our sins, and we walked according to those, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit which is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were living it out. We were carrying that blame, that shame, that sin, and living it out day by day by day by day. And what a beautiful thing verse 4 starts. But God, but God, oh, how He's changed everything. (laughs) The God who is rich in mercy... Because of His great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Watch verse 6. Ready? And He raised us up with Him 
And he seated us, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Where are you sitting today? You're sitting next to Jesus in heavenly places as a believer in Christ. That's where you're seated right now, next to Jesus in heavenly places in Christ. Isn't that where we were just told we had all the blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Chapter 1, verse 3. You're seated there. You're seated there. Do you think he's going to turn over and look at you and say, Yuck! Mm -mm. You see what the view he's got? He's already sees you there. I I guarantee you this. When you get to heaven, you're not going to walk around looking for a place, a name tag, and not find it. Every seat is labeled, and every seat will be filled. You will be there. He's already said so. He's already views you there. He already says, yeah, they belong to me. They're here already with me. We are with him, it says. Location, in the heavenlies. That's where we're blessed. How can that possibly be, folks? How could it possibly be? It's because of Christ. Understand that. It's because of Christ. So God has declared you blameless. Are you ready to hear why? You ready to hear what? This is his view. The word itself, amosmos. What a great little Greek word. Amosmos. You say, well, what's that? Something that grows out on the side, on the side of a house? On a tree? Uh, amosmos. The A at the start of that is a letter A, our equivalent, and it negates whatever that word is. It's like un in front of a word. Or non in front of a word. Or not in front of a word. Mosmos, then, take the ah off, is a blemish. It's a stain. It's a disgrace. That's its word. It's a stain, a disgrace, a blemish. When we sin, there's a stain. There's a stain. Picture that in your mind. There's a stain. For most of us, we think that it's permanent. We live like it's permanent. We carry it about with us, like it will never go away. We put it in that pack. We carry it with us. Some of you still carry it now. Whatever it was you did, you remember it too well, and you're carrying stains. Sometimes you say, I'm not going to tell anybody. You keep it a secret. But it's in your heart. It's in your mind. And just by the pastor talking about it today, you start to feel uncomfortable, don't you? Some people know about it. And they say, I wish I'd never told them. But there's stains. Sin brings stains. A blemish. It ruins the garment. It messes it all up. When my daughter, Abby, was to be married... Um, almost seven years ago. Amazing. But uh, she had her gown in sometime around October or so. She had it there. They were married in December. Um, she had her gown uh, in our back room. And uh, it stood on this pedestal. I mean, it almost alarmed you when you walked in there in the morning. And boom, who's that? You know, we see this gown standing up there in the back. Beautiful, beautiful gown. 
But uh, one day the cat was exceedingly interested in that gown. You know what? There's a mouse under it. And the cat wanted it. And it was like, you know how nervous I got? Well, you got to do something about that. So, you know, you chase the, the mouse out and the cat gets it. This end of story, right? But the sense of don't you dare mess up that gown. You know what that is. You know, that feeling, don't you dare mess that up. Think of the gown that you wear in this life and how many stains are on it now. And that's the way we carry it, right? That's the way we walk about. We say, well, yeah, I've messed up here, I've messed up there. There's never a cure for that. It's a terrible stain that doesn't come out. Try what you want on it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Peter uses that word, uh, momos, to describe the false teacher in his day. When he writes in 2 Peter 2.13, he says, They are suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains. And they are blemishes. Reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. They come into the sanctuary covered with filth. That's Peter's picture of them. That's a false teacher. And probably everything they touch messes up, too. It was a term used for a disgraceful person, mosmos. It's used when there is a flaw or a blemish that's found in a person. And they are censured for it. They are discredited for it. In our day, when we have blemish and such like that, we don't want the world to see it. Uh, we have cover girl. Right? Fix it. We, we, we use makeup to cover, to shield. I, I joked about this once. My, of course, I'm a pastor, and you know, you don't want to come up here and have something growing out of your forehead, right? So you learn to use that kind of stuff. And my daughter was in the bathroom and saw it on the shelf. She said, Dad, what are you using cover girl for? I said, well, because they don't make cover boy. They just don't. But we know the concept, don't we? We don't want people to see our flaws. We don't see people to have mistakes, you know, visible in us. We, we hide them. We spend, we spend so much time trying to cover up things. The problem is, the minute you spend all that time to cover it up, you're running into a five-year-old who's not afraid to say, what happened? Right? Because they do. They spot everything. That's why they call it vanity. Vanity, it's hard to hide something like that. It's vain to hide it. <laughs> but this is, this is where we put on our Christian cover-up. This is where we, we try to use makeup, so to speak, in a spiritual way to cover up our flaws so that when we're among other believers, they don't spot that we are to blame. We're very good at that game. But we go back to this word, and I have no trouble today pointing out the flaws or the blemishes or the stains or the things that should be blamed. But I want you to look again at verse 4 and see the word he uses for you. He has every right in every case to say you're to blame. 
your disgrace. You have stains. He has every right to say that because he sees it and he knows it. But what does he say? Blameless. Blameless. Without blame. Not covered up blame. He means no blame. You see the difference? No blame. Our English translations say that we would be blameless or that we should be blameless. And I told you last week, that's not really the precision of the text. It actually says that he has chosen us to be blameless. It's not a potential. It's a present tense. It means it's right now. And present tense also carries the idea of continuously. Understand, this is your identity in Christ. He has put a label on you. And the label says blameless. And it says it right now. And it will say it next week. And it will say it a month from now. And it will say it all the way up till you stand in His presence. You wear the title. Blameless one. It's an adjective. It's a blameless one. It's because He has blessed you. It's because He has chosen you. It's because He has identified you as holy ones. He also identifies you as blameless ones. Now, here's why we have trouble with it. Because holy, we look at that and say, ooh, that's kind of a neat word. And someday I'm going to grow up into it, you know. When we get to heaven, we're going to be holy, right? So we, we have optimism on that side because that's something that tends to progress. But blameless, it deals with your past. And that's why we have the most trouble with that word. Because there it is, looking you right in the face. And say, yeah, but you know what you did, and you can't carry that, and he doesn't want you to, because he says, I'm going to give you the label that my son has bought for you. I'm going to call you blameless. Folks, I can't find a a more freeing word than this one. It's the identity as a blameless one he's given to you. It's in the action of God's Choosing you. It's in the time frame. Notice it again in verse 4. This was done before the creation of the world. And you weren't there to mess it up. It was completed in the work of Christ. It's in Him on your behalf. I know we cannot be sinless by our behavior. We cannot. Not till we get to glory. That's done. I'll be glad. But we can't even be forgiven apart from Christ. We cannot be chosen apart from Christ. We cannot be blameless ones apart from Christ. Do you realize that? He took our blame. He took it. He took it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the man who considered himself to be the chief of sinners. Remember? The Apostle Paul, he stood there while Stephen was stoned to death. The Apostle Paul, persecutor of the church. (laughs) The Apostle Paul, an unworthy man who said, I do not deserve the mercy or the grace of the Lord. And yet he knew the power of the cross. 
And that's what he preached. He talked about it because he says, I can't cover up my sins. I can't sweep them under a rug. I can't do anything about them. But Jesus can. And he did. So he writes these words. They're in Colossians chapter 2. I love this passage. Colossians 2, 13, 14, 15. When you were dead in your transgressions, he says, and uncircumcised in your flesh, he made you alive together with him, just like he said in Ephesians, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Did he or did he not? He canceled them. He has taken them out of the way. The things that were hostile to us. He took them out of the way. Having nailed them to a cross. If you're still carrying that thing, it's because you didn't leave it there. That's where he paid for it. And if he paid for it, and the term blameless is yours, why do you walk around as if you're not? Why do you still carry the thing that he nailed to a cross? It goes on to say, when he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. Those are the ones who point the finger at you all the time. Say, oh, you're the blameful one. You're the blameful one. He disarmed them. He took out their teeth. They can't bite you. He took out their weapons. They can't hurt you. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He even made a public display of them. They're on the cross having triumphed over them through Him. If Christ triumphed, and He did, didn't He? Then why do we keep acting like we're losers? When my oldest daughter was born, we had a tremendous medical bill. It was, it was incredible. I couldn't even fathom the numbers when they were coming across. That was quite some time ago. My wife had been in the hospital for nearly a month. And then my daughter was born. That was Carrie. She barely weighed four pounds, just hovered between four and a little less, back and forth there. She lived in the NICU ward for three weeks. That's kind of pricey. <laughs> and all the while, we're, we're, we're seeing, you know, her developing. And she didn't have it as hard as some of the other children who's come into this world. I saw things I don't ever want to see again in the NICU section. Uh, but that bill, that bill was far beyond my ability to pay it. They called me down to the hospital office and they said, even while she was there, they said, do you know how much your bill is right now? I go, what is it? And they told me, I go, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. And they said, we're going to set up a payment plan for you. They said, here's how we're going to figure out. And they added up all the numbers. They said, you'll be 104 when it's paid off. Okay, it's a deal. <laughs> I paid for that monthly. Monthly. I kept a little book, a little debt book in my cabinet. Every month I pull that, there's that debt book looking me in the face. Every month I saw it. That debt was there, that debt was there, that debt was there. I paid it every single month for 16 years, faithfully. Never missed it. And I got a call one day from the hospital, 16 years later. And uh, the lady on the phone said, 
we just got a check from you. Why? And I said, well, because that's what I do every month. There's the account. I send it in and all these other things. She says, well, I, I just, I'm concerned about this because we don't have record of that debt. I said, what? I said, somehow it got lost. It, it, I'm sorry, but it's not there anymore. And I said, really? And they said, you don't owe us anything. And I said, put that in writing. <laughs> I said, send that to me. I want to see that. I've got that. It's almost like something I should hang on the wall, you know. But what a difference that made. The debt was gone. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. It could have been a glitch or who knows. I don't care. I'm not going to look it up and ask him to fix it. Whatever it was, it was gone. And I was astonished. So how do you put that thing down? How, how do you do this? When God says in writing that he paid your debt, why do you act like it's not paid? If he says you're blameless, why do you act like you're not See, that's the picture we've got in front of us right now. Either he has labeled us blameless, or else it's not true. Which do you want today? Which do you want? That's why these words just come back to me. I, I knew a man, he had issues with, with things he had done in his teens. He was in his mid-40s when I was talking with him. He was active in our church. He was uh, always holding back, though, it seemed. When I'd ask him to do certain, no, I can't do that, I just can't do that, Pastor. And I found out later it was because he was still carrying a blame. A blame that he had carried for so many years from his teens. And because of that, he would not serve with all his heart. He resisted things because he thought, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I've got blame. I've got stains. I've got a mess. I cannot do that. And we talked and talked and talked about God's forgiveness. We talked about God's view of him. We talked about the difference the cross has made. And a huge change came over that man's heart. He has the confidence now in his relationship with God. He went on to serve as the director of a child's ministry over two counties in the state of Indiana. Because suddenly he realized, I've been carrying a debt that wasn't mine. I was carrying a blame that I didn't belong to, to carry anymore. I was called blameless. Blameless. I'm not telling you you're sinless. I'll tell you who was blameless. Noah was blameless. Job was blameless. Abraham was told to walk before God and be blameless. King Asa was blameless in his heart his whole days, Scripture says. God is blameless, and all his ways are blameless. We could read it in Scripture. He says the walk of a blessed man, or a blameless man, is a delight in his eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Remember the Corinthians? The mess they were? It says of them that God will confirm you to the end blameless in the day of Christ Jesus. That's the Corinthians. So many times when we look at this, we look at it from our viewpoint and we, and we have the fact that Satan loves to imprison us in our sins. He loves that. He loves to point out the blame. He wants us to think that God has no use for us. 
He wants us to think that we're a liability to God's great church. He wants us to think that we must wear these chains of blame our whole life long. And there are many who think that's true. But the words before you are not things you can debate. This is what God has called you, a blameless one in Christ Jesus. He paid that debt. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Many people have trouble with it. I think that's why Paul keeps putting it in his prayers. <laughs> when he says, I'm going to pray for you Thessalonians. Here's how he said it. First Thessalonians 3.13 I'm going to pray that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness. <laughs> establish the heart, because that's where we don't believe. He says, I want that heart strengthened, because that's where you're having trouble with blame. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes we think the blame is only on the physical side. (laughs) It hits the soul. It hits the spirit. And it drives us down and makes us feel burdened. And that's why I love this title, don't you? The title is Blameless One. It is not earned. Because you did not earn it. It's not a trophy. You did not win it. It's not a certificate on your wall. I keep it in context with the fact that we are so undeserving of any of this. My condition, your condition is sinful. We are unholy and we're blameful and unacceptable in God's eyes except that He did the different thing and He chose you. He chose you. He chose you to be continually holy ones, continually blameless ones. He's not going to change His mind. That's His designation. And He would never think less of that concerning the title He gave you because it was bought by His Son and He will not discredit the work of His Son. He has labeled you as a blameless one. It's a label that won't peel off. It's a label that won't fade. It won't be covered up. And how do I know that? Because in the text it says he determined that before the foundation of the world. And when we get to the last page, the last final step we take into glory, guess what we are called? You ready? Here it comes. It's in Jude. I love it. My favorite verse sitting right here. Oh, I say that with all of them, don't I? But uh, Jude verse 24. Listen, listen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. Who's going to get you there that way? He is. Do you think he's going to fail? Not at all. This is determined. It's present tense. It's right now. It's before his face. Literally before his face. This is his view of you. Blameless one. And when it's all said and done, we stand in his presence that he will present before uh, himself, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. The wedding gown's going to make it, folks. (laughs) It's going to make it. It's going to make it. You know what our challenge is, don't you? Number one, 
what are you going to do about that thing in the past? You still carrying it? You still blaming? You still carry the weight of that? I know somebody who can clean that up right now. He's done that for you. Take it to him. Lay it at that cross. Nail it there, okay? And walk away. That's what he died for, to take care of sin, right? Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if that's still your burden, let it go. The one who, who saved you is the one who's cleaned you. He's made you blameless. Live like it. Live like it. Live like it. Live up to your name. Live up to your identity. I know you can't do it on your strength. I can't do it on mine. But I'm taught that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's called you to be blameless. He's labeled you so. Live up to it. That's where it comes down to prayer, doesn't it? (laughs) says, Lord, I, I've got to talk to you about this. You call me a continually blameless one. I need to go out and do that now, make it look like my life is true, and keeping with my identity. That's what we should be praying about for each other. Remember that as we step out into the world around us today. Who you are in Christ. And as you seek to live up to it, pray for your brothers and sisters too. Because we all need this, don't we? Heavenly Father, help us, we pray. When we get into these kind of words, they just get big. They get big. And it's still, there might be some among us today who are saying, ah, I don't know about this. Pastor doesn't know what I carry in my heart. He doesn't know what's in my little debt book. I don't know, that's true, Lord. But you do. And it says that you paid for all our sins. All our sin. The blame that we tend to carry has been pointed at us by an enemy who doesn't want us to serve you with all our heart. And Lord, if there's a closet in that heart, if there's a room in that heart, if there's a place in that heart that still has that picture of blame laying there, Lord, do your work. Only you can do from the inside out. And give us our view from your place, from your view. Help us to see the title you've given to us and help us to live up to it and leave the rest right there at the cross, we pray. Do your work in our heart, we pray. We need it. And help our brothers and sisters that we can encourage them in this too. All this we ask today. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen.